This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Many of us have heard of flow states where effortlessness and ease move through us and we enter, as many athletes call it, the zone. Living in the flow is allowing more of the divine to move through you and as you. As Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith says, it is as much about receiving as it is about doing and giving. Just as the tides of the ocean come in and out. Living in this divine flow is powerful, deeply moving, and joyful, even if it isn't always our expectation of perfection. You can align with this divine flow through several simple principles. Simple isn't always easy, but it is clear and doable. Valeria interviews Reverend Connie L. Habash. She is the author of Awakening from Anxiety, A Spiritual Guide to Living a More Calm, Confident, and Courageous Life. Reverend Connie, M-A-L-M-F-T, is also a licensed marriage and family therapist, yoga and meditation teacher, and spiritual mentor. Over the last 29 years, she has helped thousands of students and clients overcome stress, anxiety, depression, and spiritually awaken. Reverend Connie is passionate about deepening spirituality through nature. She creates a safe, heart-centered, nurturing space to awaken, grow, and serve the planet in her online community, Awakening Women of the Earth, A-W-E, AWE, as well as her other online programs, in-person retreats, workshops, and ecotherapy sessions in the San Francisco Bay Area. Additionally, she has served on the faculty of three yoga teacher trainings. Meet Reverend Connie at awakeningself.com. Here's the interview with Reverend Connie L. Habash. In your own words, who is Connie L. Habash? I am a spiritual being having a human life, supporting other humans to return to their awakening of the fact that they are spiritual beings. Yes, that's a beautiful answer that I'm sure a lot of us heard. We have been in touch with that message that we are spiritual beings and not just human beings here with no reason to be. So how did you come to the embodiment of this message, Connie? That's been quite a journey through my life. And it's been, it's really related to our topic today because I've always, on some level, not always perfectly, but on some level trusted the the flow of how the divine was leading me, the direction that I was being called in. And 
even though sometimes it was scary, it took leaps of faith, absolutely, and trust. Um, I trust the intuition that I receive. I trust the feelings in my body that arise, that the sensations that kind of guide me and also synchronicities and signs that show up along the way that indicate, yeah, okay, this is the direction I'm going in. When we think about trust, who are we trusting, Connie? Who are you trusting? Is there something, someone that we have in mind or a heart or is just the universe, life itself? It's an important question for us to ask because I think when we're asked to have faith and to trust, we need to know what that means to us, to to me and you, you know, individually, because um, I'm not asking people to trust in something outside of them. But, but I also don't see the divine as outside of us. I see it as within you and me and within everything. Um, so it's trusting that inner knowing of our true self, our divine self, and trusting in that which has created the entire universe and that creates the cycle of the seasons and the earth rotating so the sun rises every day. There's that infinite presence that um, has created and guided everything. And that's what I call upon to trust. And it's really found inside of me. And I think everyone can find it inside of themselves. Yeah, that resonates true. So it's something that it's not an object. It's not a something. It's not an object. It's not a person. So I, you know, a lot of people, I've gone through my own healing transformative journey around the word God. And, you know, I was raised with that and I was in a Christian religion um, which is wonderful. And I still connect very much to um, the teachings of Jesus as part of my um, broader spiritual understanding. But I, for a long time, I, um, in my twenties, I was a little bit bothered by the word God because it always evoked an image of a particular kind of form, a person and particularly male. Um, and, and so I went through this journey of understanding what I call the divine now, although sometimes I'll use the word God, I don't have a problem with it anymore, but my understanding is not a person. It's not, although we may imagine it in a form of a person so that we can have a more easy, understandable conversation with something that is infinite and beyond um, our understanding. But if, if the divine is truly infinite, omnipresent, omniscient, you know, all that is, it cannot, in my understanding, be limited to a particular form, but it can take any form. Um, so I'm connecting to that source, that infinite presence, which is love and truth and light and wisdom. Um, and always here right now, that's what I think of, of that divine presence. Mm, yeah. So you call it the divine too. Yes. Divine, divine. Yes. I, I try to find something that's not that's a bit, a bit more neutral term so that anyone can relate to that. Like, what is the divine for you? Um, you may see it or experience it or feel it in a particular form or way. And that's, you know, that's in, in yogic terms, we would call that your ishta devata or the, the form of the divine that is yours, that really speaks to you and resonates with your soul. It's almost like it, it has to be somewhat understood by the mind, but that's not mm-hmm. really what it is. I know we try to have a conversation about it. From my experience, perspective, perhaps, realization, really, because I don't think it's a, I mean, it is an experience and it's not at the same time. It's really the paradox again. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like being the divine. Everything is divine, is the divine, which mm-hmm. is really a challenge for the mind to grasp that because it's everything and it's everywhere. That's such an amazing conversation to have and to contemplate even. Um, I mean, it, it stops me. Absolutely. You know, if we, if we, if we recognize that, that the divine is infinite, that means there's no limit to it, then how, how could it not be in the, the needle on the pine tree and the petal on the flower and the, you know, rock that's in your front yard and within every cell of your being? How could it not be there? It, it must be. Right. Oh, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds true. It feels true, really. <laughs> and then what I was about to say, I have been trying so many practices and ways of embodying that. Mm-hmm. And I notice that when I see something, or the mind does with the eyes of the mind, that it doesn't like, like violence, or ignorance, unkindness. The tendency, my tendency, it's to focus in the body of the person. Mm-hmm. And just see the organism kind of in a way, seeing how humble it is <laughs> to see that mind that doesn't yet understand how fragile and how temporary this is. So I try to separate in a way. I'm, so I guess my question is, how do you navigate this reality in a sense of seeing the divine everywhere, kind of feeling that, but not at the same time when it comes to violence and all the negativity that we, unfortunately, we have here in this reality. That's certainly a a spiritual question I have struggled with over the years um, because I think many of us in the spiritual path think, well, if if the divine is all love and truth and light and all of that, then why do these things happen? Why do we get sick? Why is there violence? Why is there war? Um, uh, Why do people die? Um, and I, I don't know that I can answer all those questions right now, but where I've come to, first of all, that the physical form is temporary. We all know that we know death is, is a reality in terms of the physical form, in terms of the spiritual form, there is infinite energy. There's, you know, in the law of physics that you cannot destroy energy. It, it only changes form. And so I always, I always held on to that law of physics because when my father died when I was 21 and I saw him dead at the hospital, I could see that the light was gone from his eyes and I knew, oh, he, who he is is not in this body anymore. Um, and so that's how I came to understand death is that, you know, when we look at life all around us, that there is a cycle of seasons. It is part of the nature of everything. And there is, there is something to be learned and explored and experienced through the process of the letting go and the leaves dying and falling off the trees and the dormancy of winter where we go within and the cycle of life and death. And, and regarding violence and illness and things like that, um, I don't know that I have a magic answer to that. Um, what I do know is that we are all at choice. We are all at choice and we have the, the choice to see the divine within ourselves and one another. We have the, the choice to choose love over hate or fear or not. And there are people that, um, unfortunately are choosing out of ignorance or choosing out of fear or choosing out of their trauma. They're reacting out of their trauma. And 
so what um, I love what Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith says about when he sees like the headlines in the paper, which are usually really bad news. Yeah, <laughs> interesting headlines that grab people yeah. and make people read yeah. Um, mm, yeah. our, or watch TV are sadly usually not good news. He says that, that that's a prayer request. So to me, that's a call for um, may this person or may this country or may these beings um, remember who they really are. May they remember that they can choose something other than what they're choosing. May they heal. Um, and I think that's probably, and maybe that's kind of Buddhist inspired. I'm not, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a Buddhist, but it's certainly one of the paths that I've studied in um, that choice that we all have in every moment. And that's why being in the present moment is such a core lesson for me and a core teaching for me, um, because it's only in the present moment that we can choose that. And sometimes it becomes very challenging to be present even because the mind is always attached to something it doesn't like. So there's something that we'll be talking in the moment about attachment. You did mention, which is uh, love, the principle of attachment. And you, you mentioned that in the piece that you wrote titled um, Living in Flow. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking in with in depth in a moment, but I want to mention, so one of my latest uh, realizations is that I was trying really hard to be present and to accept everything as it is. I felt like this trying hard, really, kind of almost like meditating, getting to my room to meditate. It, it didn't feel right. And then I'm realizing more and more and more that it has to do with attachment the ideas I have created around people, around me, my family members, and the situation in the world now, like this war between Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So it's ideas in the mind that that's not good. So it has been created already, this opposite. So now it's really a challenge to balance that when I have to. So would you say that attachment, it's um, the cause of... I don't want to sound Buddhist again, like you just said about Buddhism, but it kind of makes a lot of sense. The more we are attached to something, the more we'll feel not just attracted to it, but almost controlled by it, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just a Buddhist concept. It is also a yogic concept, which, of course, is my background. Um, and there's there's a number of, of different things from yoga philosophy that can help us understand how that attachment causes suffering so the the word in sanskrit for um non-attachment is vairagya um but i talked about a specific aspect of that in that blog called aparigraha which is non-clinging and non-greed it's 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 the holding on to things in our life um and and vairagya non-attachment is really that the practice of um, not, not holding on to expectations and letting, uh, trusting the process basically. Um, but we tend to all kind of cling to what we want, to our desires. We also cling to our aversions. Um, yoga philosophy talks about this play between desire and aversion. We want certain things. We want to keep certain things. We want to hold on to stuff, you know, like, We've probably seen the extreme of that, like um, TV shows about hoarders, right? Um, but that's 
it's not just literal in terms of the things piling up in our garage and our closet. That's also internal. The things that we hold on to inside of ourselves, like um, I want my life to be a certain way. I want to look a certain way. I want to um, I want people to feel a certain way about me. I want things to unfold a certain way. I want to hold on to this relationship. And then we also have the the aversions, the things that we don't want. I don't want to experience suffering. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to move. I don't want to, um, you know, start a new job and things like that. Um, and so when we're getting caught in, in the desires and aversions, which are called raga and dvesha, it sends us into this spin. Um, and, and that creates a lot of anxiety. That spin, I mean, if you think about, I, I think I even talked about this in my book. Have you ever been to um, a place like Disneyland and they have the teacup ride yeah. and, and you sit in there and you're cranking <laughs> that wheel and, and you're making yourself dizzy, right? Well, the wheel spins because you're both pulling and pushing at the same time. You're pulling with one hand and pushing with the other. And that's what we do when we're when we're attached to the desire and the avoidance. We want something and we don't want something else. And that causes us anxiety and stress it gets in the way of being in the present moment and it blocks flow so when we can let go release what both we were wanting to hold on to and release what we're also avoiding and let ourselves be in the present moment and trust what's going on then flow can happen because flow can't happen when we're in that constant spin I know you talked about the open heart or being mm -hmm. open so that word is very important I mean, sounds crucial to me in this dance between the likes and dislikes that the mind uh, holds on to. And another question that came to me, Connie, it's about uh, this um, the thing about letting go of who we think we are. I mean, we have become what we have come today as a result of gathering things, mm. all the identity, um, the genetic impressions. I mean, everything about us in a way, has been a gathered, or has been a gather of something. <laughs> I wonder how, yeah, because I have heard about some spiritual teachers, some people have become empty of everything. There's just the organism functioning, but they are, they are navigating this reality at ease, at peace, because there's no one there. There's mm -hmm. nothing that they are holding on to. But is that really possible or realistic for all of us, I wonder. And my other question is, why is it possible for some, I mean, very few of us, maybe one Buddha, Jesus, but not for all of us? It's absolutely possible for all of us. And it's not absolutely possible for all of us all the time. Mm, mm, that, um, right. I mean, I think that there, that there are a few who will be able to establish themselves in that state all the time. And, and you've just named some of them, right? But for the rest of the, us, I think it's actually healthier to not expect that and to not be striving for that because we can become disappointed. And we know like the old saying, it was one of the first things that I learned in my path of spiritual growth at age 19 in a workshop was expectations lead to disappointment. So what we can do, we can actually in this present moment, if we become fully present, with whatever is, which, and, and I define presence as, um, a quiet mind and an open heart in the present moment. We can experience that. 
And maybe just for a moment, maybe for a few moments, maybe we can sustain it for a few minutes. Maybe we can have an experience where it lasts hours or even days, but not to, to cling to it. See, the problem comes when with the, the practice of aparigraha helps us, non-clinging, is when we want to try and hold on to that. But once we get caught up in that, we've actually dispelled the moment of presence, and now we're back in mind, saying, I want to hold on to this. So it's this ongoing practice of coming back to being present here now. And when in those moments when I'm fully present and I've had them, there is no I or you. There is just presence. There is there is you know, I, I I am here in this present moment. There's beyond definition. Yeah. Um, and that's when we can loosen up all of that old programming from our upbringing and from our traumas and maybe from our genetics and, and you know, life experiences and attitudes and opinions we develop. That's when we can let that go is the more we practice that presence. That makes a lot of sense to me. So beautifully said that this is not something, because it is an experience anyway, the experience of uh, calm, of easy, of flow, we call it uh, spiritual. Those are spiritual experiences of realizing that everything is connected. There's no nothing that's separate. And we can build on those experiences. We can have them more and more. It is possible for them to become more, become more and more of our life, living in the flow and being in that infinite present moment. And the paradox is that it is a practice, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> practicing to be in which flow. means it's not perfect. Yeah, it's right. not perfect. So yeah. let go of the expectation, <laughs> the attachment to perfection. Yeah. Oh my God, Connie. And that I was lis- just listening to you speak about that it is possible to be there, let's say, realized, but not always in flow, not always present, and that is what this experience is all about anyways change isn't it so it made me think about love isn't it because i heard before uh, i think it was krishnamurti he said that non-attachment is freedom and from freedom comes love it's mm. the only love that really exists i would love to hear a little bit more about that i mean that just stayed with me and by listening to you kind of reminded me of this idea the concept that he mentioned when when we're present, and my teacher of presence, Leonard Jacobson, has said this, when we're present, fully present, we are that love. We are. We're not trying to be loving. We're not giving love. We're we're not we we are. We are that. It's not something we're trying to do. We become that. And and related, I think, to what Krishnamurti said from what you just said. Um, is that I see, I just wrote about this too recently, um, that neutrality or the neutral witness, the, the inner witness or divine witness, which is not attached to anything is one and the same as that presence of love, that love in itself. If we're thinking about unconditional love, it actually embodies that witness or that neutrality. It's not expecting anything. It's not judging anything. It's not wanting anything. It is simply here being that love and unconditionally holding all that is, holding you and me, ourselves in that love. Um, so, And that is freedom. It, that is amazing to even to contemplate the idea that the more we 
not just accept, but I love the word you use, which I use too a lot. I love that. Being open. So once we open the heart and we are open to everything there is, including the the human experience as it is with the mind separating everything, that's when, yeah, it feels to me that the sense of freedom of that unconditional presence just sets in when mm-hmm. we, uh, we accept even the unacceptable. Yeah, opening to that which is. I want to help people distinguish because there's a lot of us out there who are highly sensitive persons, right? Who uh, going around being open to everything is sounds like torture, right? (laughs) It sounds like, no, I don't want to put myself through that. So I want to clarify this because being open to the flow of life and open to what is doesn't mean that you are processing everything. It doesn't mean that you're putting your, your body and your energetic body through every experience that's happening in the world. Like you don't need to process through your whole body uh, the war in Ukraine. Right. That's right. that's oh, going God. to be yeah. that's going to create suffering for you um, yeah. unnecessarily. But what it does mean is that we um first of all that we don't get into a place of judgment or clinging or pushing away, as we've talked about. We we acknowledge Except that this is what is right now. This is what is happening right now. We can't deny that. Um, and that say that there is a painful emotion that comes up within us. Um, let's say grief. Um, it means that we allow that to flow through us, but not become stuck within us. And it gets stuck within us when we either hold on to it or push it away. Pushing something away makes it stuck in us. Okay. So we can imagine, you know, I've talked about like open heart front to back where things flow on through, but that may not work for everybody. They may like flowing by you and you're feeling it as it flows by you like a breeze or that you're opening a window on one side of the room and a window on the other and it's blowing through, but it doesn't become you. You don't want to open the window and let's say there's smoke. You don't want to have stuff <laughs> yeah. in your room, yeah, right? Right. Um, so you blow it through the room. Like maybe you imagine, uh, you know, a fan blowing it on through and out the other door, clearing it out um, or blowing it around your home, your space. So there's a lot of different metaphors that you can use for that openness. Um, but it doesn't mean you need to process everyone else's stuff for them or the world's pain for the world. That's actually not helpful for us. So we can let, you know, um, acknowledge that and let that blow through and blow on by. We're not in denial about it, but we're also not um, absorbing it like a sponge. That was a specific section that really spoke to me because it feels like I do that. Uh, I'm still doing it. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing some work with an energy healer about two years ago. I think I saw her last year, too. So it takes practice too, right, Connie, to develop the, you call it healthy boundaries. Yeah. I mean, when we're, when we're naturally empathic people, you know, who we can feel what other people feel or beings, animals like trees. I've recently had a lot of grief over a tree that was cut down across the street from me. Um, that, um, it's, it's important to not, um, how do I want to say this other than what I've already said? Um, we can still, okay, that's what I wanted to say. We can still meet that 
sorrow or that suffering with empathy and compassion outside at the edge of our energetic boundary. Okay, so we're still receptive and open and accepting this is happening, but we don't need it to come in and then affect every cell of our being. We can feel it out there just like we feel things on our skin. Okay, so if you touch, I'm touching right now like my desk. I can feel that. I don't have to shove the desk into my body to feel it. I feel yeah, it. Right. I feel it on my skin. That's where my receptors are there to be able to feel touch, right? So we can think of energetically the things that happen in the world, the suffering that's around us, as meeting it at our energetic skin, on our edge, our energetic boundary around us, which um, my energy work teacher, Linda Cesar, teaches us to put it about two, three feet around you in all directions. You're not in denial. You're still in flow with what's happening. You still can be compassionate and empathic, but keep it out there at the edge of your energetic skin. I never heard it that way. That's an interesting term, at the edge of your energetic skin, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just wishing here that I can adopt some of these practices. And, and I love the visualization that you just mentioned earlier about the heart and then having those windows. Both windows, they are open. So one kind of absorbs whatever it is and then the other one lets it go. Just mm -hmm. goes through yeah. the house. So it's important that we have a letting go practice. If we're going to be, you know, connecting to those or, or feeling those things or uh, acknowledging sorrow, as well as joy. I want to say yeah. that it's both mm -hmm. ends, right. that we need the letting go practice, because if we try and cling to or hold on to joy, that's when it actually starts to dissipate. And probably a lot of us have experienced that, like, oh, I'm having this blissful moment. And instead of being in it, we're like, oh, okay, I never wanted to go. And then there we are going back <laughs> into that spin again, right? So the letting go practice of like, okay, I open to this joyful moment. And I, oh, I'm open to it. And I let it flow through me and I enjoy that flow without expectation or attachment and then I find and I experience it more deeply. Listening to you now, it's already like an amazing experience mm -hmm. at that intellectual level that I'm really trying to bring it down to the body and then mm -hmm. kind of uh, take that with me because it is still one of my, uh, I would say, needs. <laughs> I need to practice uh, boundaries. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of us do. I have, Absolutely. Yeah, especially women for some reason. Perhaps men too. I think I have met some of them what, the same way. And you mentioned, I was so interested in the topic of healthy boundaries that I kind of um, was moved from that article, The Living in Flow, to mm -hmm. the another piece that you have written titled Boundaries Protect Our Energetic Space. Mm -hmm. And there you talked about applying the me, not me concept of mm -hmm. boundaries. So that caught my attention too, Connie. Yeah, that's the thing that I also learned from my um, energy work teacher. Um, so me, not me, something I use with my clients all the time because sometimes we take on other people's emotions and, and unconsciously, I mean, sometimes we consciously do it, but unconsciously picking up stuff that's happening around us. Or let's say that we come home to a partner that's um, angry, that's had a bad day. And then we start to absorb that anger and either we become angry and irritable or we get upset because we don't want to feel this anger around us. Um, it's, it, we're, it's starting to kind of permeate our own energetic boundaries of that energetic skin that I talked about. So we can still acknowledge, oh, there's energy here. There's, there's angry energy here. All right. 
and I can meet it at my energetic field and I can go, that's not me. That's, that's my partner's stuff. That's their, their thing going on. I don't need to take it on. I don't need to take it on by feeling it. I don't need to take it on by reacting to it. I can come back to presence. And along with that, and you mentioned um, embodiment earlier, that's such an important principle that I work with for myself, for my students, and in my retreats and workshops and my ecotherapy work that I do out in nature, is when we are in our bodies, embodied, centered, and grounded to the earth, just like a tree, like a tree going into the, the sap, into the core, and then the roots, then we're going to be much more stable and able to hold that sense of this is me, this is my space, and that's not me out there, not blown over by whatever wind is coming our way. And that's and that comes back to the word you used earlier, paradox. The spiritual paradox is is all through the spiritual path, isn't it? Right? So it's it's the paradox of having the open heart. I am open and receptive, I'm accepting what is. I'm present, I'm allowing it to flow through me and as me. At the same time, on another level, healthy boundaries actually allow us to have the open heart because then we are not clinging to or holding on to or pushing things away or judging things or taking them on as ours. We're watching them as that inner witness of neutrality, which is the unconditional space of love. And that's how I just wrapped up everything that we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> yes, you absolutely did. So, so, so rewind uh, and listen to that part again. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's saying that uh, unconditioned presence, but then we have to be open, but not too open. That's a practice. That's a wonderful, actually. I call it a dance, really. Yeah, it's a dance. Right, you isn't just, it? You said the same word. <laughs> so talk to me about, you just mentioned the retreats at the Sacred Embodiment. That caught my attention, too. And also the uh, All Awakening Women of the Earth. I love that. Yeah, that's the online community that I have of other spiritually-oriented women who love nature and want to deepen in their connection to nature and the planet and each other and their spiritual growth. So um, that's an ongoing community that we have um, on online, but off of social media. So it's our own private space and we're not distracted by anything else. And, and we share discussion and videos and we have monthly um, Zoom gatherings and things like that too. And we explore a different theme every month. Um, currently this month, that's why I wrote about flow is it's the theme is divine flow. Um, and then in the fall at um, Mount Madonna Center in Watsonville, California, it's in the Santa Cruz Mountains where the, the redwoods grow. I'm so blessed to be close to redwoods. Um, I have my annual fall retreat for women, um, a three day retreat in October. And it's this year's theme is sacred embodiment. So we are going to really come into our bodies um, in a variety of different ways through yoga through uh, connecting to our energetic center and grounding and through um, community and uh, interacting with and connecting with one another and especially through connecting to nature because there's no better teacher of embodiment than nature. So, so true. Looking at it, yeah, you wish, I mean, we wish, the mind wishes <laughs> to be it. I don't know what part of the mind, which is interesting to contemplate too, <laughs> wishes to be a flower. Yeah, I love the sacred embodiment. Oh, yeah, I wanted to mention that you also, you have written a book that we talked last year about. It was it's titled Awakening from Anxiety, A Spiritual Guide to Living a More Calm, Confident, and Courageous Life. 
And this book is on Amazon. I'll have the link too on your podcast profile again. And uh, let me see if there's anything else here that caught my attention. Well, there is next um, in September, on Thursday, September 8th, I'm going to have a free workshop about um, what you didn't know about your emotions, Mm, how spiritual people can embrace and learn from, quote unquote, negative feelings. So all of the anger and fear and and sorrow and anxiety, all of that. Um, We're going to be exploring why they got such a bad rap in the spiritual community (laughs) and and what you can do about working with them, that they're not, um, they're not bad or wrong to have those emotions. In fact, they're human and they have gifts for us that are so important. So that's a free workshop coming up there in September. Oh, wow. Please. Yeah, I'll have the link on your podcast profile, too. That's a wonderful topic, though, in itself. Yeah, that's uh, a whole, you know, a whole discussion on, on flow with emotions. Like, how do we let emotions that arise in us flow through us? And I'll be teaching a whole course on that this fall uh, after, after that free workshop. Oh, that's amazing, Connie. Please do. I got to be there somehow. I have to <laughs> interview you on that on that topic because... That's something that we often think that it's, um, we have a problem because we have these emotions running through us and then we just wonder. A lot of that I already noticed that it's that not having boundaries in my case, just picking up the energies around me. And mm-hmm. then it feels different, very different. But at the same time, not because we're all connected. So if it is your emotion, it's my emotion. It's not just yours. So it's... In a way, it's almost like picking up all these energies. It feels natural to me as well. Maybe that's why I have not tried to stop. Yes, you know, living living in flow really is about when we notice one of the aspects is regarding emotions is whenever we notice an emotion arising for us of any sort, but in particular the negative emotions because we don't tend to have a lot of problem with the positive yeah, emotions. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, is allowing ourselves. Just to be present with it, to not fear it or judge it, um, to really be present there with it. And that as we learn that, and there's certain tools that I share with people to be able to learn how to do that, um, then, then these emotions don't become a problem. I, you know, people come to me, especially as a therapist, you know, they want to get rid of their anxiety. They want to get rid of their anger or their depression. And for me, you're not going to get rid of natural human emotions. Those are, those are part of how we're designed. Those emotions are there for a reason. What we're going to learn is, is how to work with them in a, in more, with more grace and resilience when they arise. So that when they arise, you know, oh, okay, here it is. Here's that emotion. I know how to work with that. And I'm going to work with that in that conscious way that I learned and be present with it. And then it doesn't throw us off. It doesn't disturb us. It doesn't set us off of our center. And we actually become more enriched from the experience. Thank you so much for your presence in in this world and our reality, Connie. We need it. All of us. We need to be reminded. We need to know these things, not just at the intellectual level, but to embody this wisdom that we are life. Is there anything that we left unsaid for today, Connie? I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Living in flow is a very courageous thing. 
you know, because it's, it's asking us, like we've said all along here, to let go of our attachments and expectations. And that may mean that we feel called to turn left when we've been going straight for so long. Um, but it doesn't mean that you, it, it doesn't mean you have to jump cliffs all the time. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> right. it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it can be gradual, gentle adjustments to your sail. I like, I often use sailing, even though I'm not a sailor at all, yeah. but just <laughs> yeah. something about um, that, that metaphor of like, you know, you're adjusting to the wind, the wind is blowing this way. And I can be trying to, I can be trying to sail against the wind um, and, and I won't get very far. Um, I may not be ready to go fully toward the wind, but maybe I can turn a little bit and see what that's like. What is it like to listen to that little intuition that I just had today? What is it like to follow that that little gut level experience I'm having in my body right now and and respond to that? What is it like to sit here and be with this emotion rather than my tendency to um, blow up or to try to run away from it? You know, you were talking about freedom a few times today. And there's nothing free about escaping. Escaping is not freedom. We think that's what it is. Freedom is being able to be here in the present moment now with whatever is and still have your solid connection to your divine self. That's, that's ultimate freedom. So living in the flow is really that being here right now in that present moment. Right. Uh, I love that, of course. Um, there's nothing not to love about it. <laughs> I mean, freedom is love. That's beautifully said. Thank you so much again, Connie. What else can I say? I mean, love, <laughs> that's what this is. <laughs> so thank you for being love. Thank you for being recognizing the divine in you and passing this on, those teachings, the presence of it, which is even more powerful because it can be felt. I could felt throughout the interview today, meeting you. So thank you so much again for your presence. Thank you, Valeria. It's been a blessing. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, retreats, and future projects? On my website, awakeningself.com. S is in Sam, E-L-F, awakeningself.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, either uh, Awakening Self on Facebook or I think it's Connie Habash, Connie.Habash, something like that on Instagram. Um, but my main portal is my website, and that's where I have like, all my videos and talks and blog and events, definitely my upcoming events. Yeah, it's a beautiful website, too, to look Thank at it. You. <laughs> really beautiful. So I'll have the link on your podcast profile as well. Um, and then I'll have the course, well, I think you, about the emotions, right? I've, yeah, the I've, free uh, workshop, the link. Yes, right. I want that link, too, later on. Thank you so much again, Connie, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, my dear. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Reverend Connie L. Habash and her work, please visit awakeningself.com. Join a free workshop with Reverend Connie L. Habash at awakeningself.com backslash what dash you dash didn't dash know dash about dash your dash emotions backslash. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast.
Thank you again for listening and bye for now.